Welcome to the Woman of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to talk all things Marvel and more. This is Judy Stevens, producer. Today, we've got a brand new series to the podcast called Marvel Method. We'll spotlight different Marvelites and their jobs. To kick it off, we've got Tom Brevoort, executive editor with Marvel Method, How to Edit Comics. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Women of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to talk all things Marvel and more. This is Judy Stevens, producer. And this is Sana Manat, director of content development. Um, and we have a very special guest for you this, this afternoon, or whatever time you guys are listening to this. <laughs> uh, Mr. Tom Brevoort, executive editor and lifetime Marvel uh, editor, right? You've been here for a while. I've been here for a little while, yes. Just small, small time. Yes. <laughs> How long has it been? Um, it's coming up on 26 years. 26 20, wow. So before most of your listening audience was even alive. Oh, yeah, definitely. I was in some version of this place. Oh, God. This building. But That's so, many so... Many buildings ago. It's, like, really amazing and also kind of sad at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's one way to look at it. I prefer to think that I've been gainfully employed for a long while. (laughs) That's true. Fine. You've been making money at a really cool place. Making a living and doing something that was enjoyable (laughs) and, you know. Uh, Well, this is a really big deal because um, we've been making a joke about Tom on the last few podcasts because he had mentioned to me that... Uh, the few times he had listened to the Women of Marvel podcast was because his name was mentioned. Well, it was you, you specifically said, oh, we mentioned you in whatever week <laughs> it was. I, and I said, oh, I, I, I guess I should listen to that one. And you ran looking for it. So that was uh, the, the trick that we have to get Tom Brevoort in the fold was to say his name a few times. Right. Uh, and then we decided we would actually have you on a podcast. And now you'll know why that's a bad idea. <laughs> and a never, bad idea. You'll never mention me again. <laughs> and... um, no, but we we wanted to uh, get have you share your your expertise with listeners about you know your experience at Marvel and sort of your editorial um, philosophy and. Uh, you know, for for those of you who are not familiar with Tom, which is totally crazy, um, Tom is sort of our uh, you, you know he's he's our executive editor, but he's really um, in charge of running our biggest uh, biggest books, our biggest events, biggest stories, and he generally just tells us um, what's actually feasible for us to do. <laughs> Uh, he will say, nope, that's a bad idea. Yes, that's an okay idea, which means amazing idea in Tom's speak. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, Tom, why don't you tell us a little bit about, I guess, you know, what, how you got to Marvel and sort of if you wanted to be an editor, just the origin of Tom Brevoort, if you right. will. Right. I've done this a bunch of times yeah. before, but for all the new listeners out here, because it's not a very interesting story, um, <laughs> you know, I started reading comics when I was about six in the early 70s mm-hmm. um, and you know sort of always knew on some level that I wanted to do them or was going to do them you know I was a I was in art school I was an artist or an artiste um, <laughs> you know and always sort of with the with the intention of eventually doing comics in, in one way shape or form right. and so I went to art school at the University of Delaware's art program uh, and in the the opening uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, meet and greet. You know, the dean of the college comes out and sort of explains the course of study, mm-hmm. and the way it breaks down is, you know, your first two years you do foundation work, 
and then your third year you pick an area of speciality and then in like your senior year uh you're meant to get an internship related to the field Mm -hmm. that you're trying to get into and the guy uh, at the college the dean said you know we've had people do this and this and this and this and we even had one person who interned at marvel and i said okay well that's going to be me in (laughs) three and a half years whatever whatever it was so you know fast forward through all those uh, years uh and I got to that point, and then I sent an application in to be an intern at Marvel, uh, and I sent them to other companies as well. I sent them to, to DC and mm-hmm. the other companies that existed at the time, smaller outfits like Kamiko, and um, I don't even remember who else was on the East Coast at that point. But um, you know, I got a I got a response back from Marvel, mm-hmm. and I've never heard from DC. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm positive that when I go home tonight... It's going to be there. Today's the day. I, I think they're just waiting on additional information from them. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they might be. They're they like, this, be. this Tom Breboard character hasn't responded to right. our email. Like, or snail mail, I guess, at that I was point. Like, yeah, email, yeah, maybe so it was not email. <laughs> that was the problem. I sent it to them email, and they didn't have email yet. Because it hadn't been They're um, lost. But so, you know, I, I got the information back and filled out all the appropriate paperwork and whatnot. And so in the summer of 1989, I came to Marvel as a, as a college intern. I worked in and across three editorial offices. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked, you know, I was in five days a week. Uh, I worked with uh, Craig Anderson and Renee Witterstatter, who were doing a line of, a line of books. That was mostly the, the, the cosmic outer space books mm-hmm. but it was a little of everything they had what if they had silver surfer and guardians of the galaxy and uh, a bunch of other stuff but the closest you could come to kind of quantifying them was that and i worked with bob budiansky and Dwayne mcduffie in what was the special projects department this was long enough ago that there wasn't really a full licensing department at marvel mm-hmm. there was basically you know a licensing account executive and a couple right. of assistants and there was Buddha and Dwayne. And what we did was all all the work. If you needed a packet packaging done, we would do the packaging. If, we, if you needed uh, turnarounds for uh, a sculpt on a, a figure or a toy or whatever, we would do that. And we would also do movie adaptations, and they did uh, all sorts of other product stuff, most of which was not typical regular comic book stuff okay um now there's a whole area we have a whole right. division right that, that that deals with consumer products and stuff like that but in those days it was much smaller and then the third office was a smaller editorial office which was greg wright and evan skolnick and greg at the time was the managing editor which is what we called associate editors in those days before mm-hmm. we called them associate editors there's always one managing editor who was sort of the one person who was between, on that, that stair step in between having gone from being an assistant to being a full editor. Uh, and they were doing a small line of books uh, and the Marvel Masterworks and a couple of other things. They were working on the, the Marvel Universe Handbook and with Mark Grunwald and a bunch of things. So over the course of this summer, I worked with these three offices um, and I was a really good intern. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I was, you know, I peaked there. You peaked at being an intern. <laughs> yes, yes. When I, I my, understand that. My yeah. big famous story, the, the one that, that, you know, put me on the map within the first week or so was uh, one of the big problems 
that that office had, particularly the managing editor office, was that was also the submissions office, which is to say anybody that sent in, because back in those days we would accept unsolicited submissions, which we do not do now, so do not send us things. Um, but in those days, uh, you know, people could send in, you know, whatever, whatever art samples or story pitches or whatever jazz they wanted to send to try and get hired. And most of it was crap, but it had to be gone through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a low totem pole thing that in the course of a given week, you know, that office and the people there were supposed to keep up with it, but there were enough other things going on that you couldn't always do it. Uh, and by, so by the time I came in, uh, there was about a year and a half's worth of backlog Oh, wow. <laughs> of stuff. And it was it was under all the desks. It was filled closets in the hallway. Oh, my God. It, it was just, you know, it was like an explosion. It was like you had a bag of popcorn, and it, it all popped, and it was everywhere, Ugh. this stuff. And I cleared it out in, like, a week. Oh, wow. They said, oh, could you, could you like, take care of some of this stuff? And a week later, it was all gone. Oh, you know? superstar. And I was like, <laughs> okay, what's next? And they were like, wait, what? 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 <laughs> um, you know, so I ended up, I also had, had art skills. Some very basic art skills, but still art skills. So, you know, I would end up doing paste-up work whenever the bullpen was heavy. And all the stuff in those days was done on the physical boards. It wasn't done digitally, Mm -hmm. as most of our stuff is today. So, you know, anything that needed to be pasted up, anything that needed to be corrected, I could... You know, I'm not a good enough letterer to letter, but I'm a good enough letterer to do lettering corrections, particularly if I also have access to a Xerox machine and some production tools. You know, I'm not a good enough artist to pencil, but I'm good enough to do simple art corrections. Right. Uh, and so I would do all kinds of stuff like that. I was full uh, full service. Okay. Also in those days, kind of frightening, in the whole of Marvel editorial, there was one computer. Oh, wow. This little Apple, I think it was like an Apple IIc or something. Oh, God. Uh, walking in the door, and I was far from being an expert, I knew how to use it better than anybody else in the place. <laughs> and so I ended up doing things like they would need typeset captions. Right. Uh, and I would end up doing all the captions for a given comic. Uh, you know, we were working at the time on Deathlock, and Deathlock would always have the computer balloons. And so I would do all the computer balloons up, and then I ended up doing them for, for a big Thanos project. So you um, were the most technologically savvy at the time, uh, yeah, for yeah. for for what it was, for what <laughs> it was, which was not to say very right. technologically yeah. savvy, but you know there was a thing; it was there. They was interested in it, and I just happened to know better than anybody else. Yeah. So by the time I was done, you know, the people in an area were already looking to see if they could get me on staff. I interviewed for one position in my last couple of weeks mm-hmm. uh, on staff and did not get it, but okay. it's okay. That happens to people. That's fine, right? And then you got right. another job here. Yes. So, so okay. So, fast forward a bit to you kind of becoming an editor and sort of you learning, going through the ranks and kind of learning the process of, of what it takes to actually be, you know, an editor and 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 a story collaborator. Um, what would you say? I mean, how has that really transformed? Really fundamentally, like, what do you feel is like your editorial philosophy? I know that you talk to a lot of this assistants about this, and I think it'll be really helpful for right. people who out there who are unfamiliar with what it takes to be an editor, right. um, or you know, to writers or creators out there who feel like, oh, I don't know if I need one, you know. And everyone is different, <laughs> um, right? But what do you think an editor really contributes, and and what should they contribute? Well, I, you know, I'm going to speak 
from the point of view of, of a situation like a Marvel. Sure. Uh, and so some of what I say is going to be a little bit different if you're talking about an editor on a creator-owned project or mm-hmm. some other thing. Um, you know, but the, the editor is a number of, of things, even in those, those instances. You know, first and foremost, the editor is the first reader. They're the first person that gets to look at all of this material in its prototypic form and respond to it, not having actually done it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're a cold set of eyes on whatever it is that's coming in. Right. Uh, theoretically, and in some cases, depending on how good the person is, this could be more theoretical than others. Mm-hmm. Theoretically, uh, they're also you know a trained eye. They have some experience and some aptitude for storytelling mm-hmm. and the tenets of it and what works and what doesn't. And so when they're looking at something and making commentary on something, um, it's coming from a place of information and not just, well, I'd really like it if those characters did this or did that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the editor is the, the, the first line of defense, the first reader. Yep. Uh, you know, they, they, they uh, uh, you know, sort of set the... Uh, you know, set things up. If, if the editor can't understand something, the reader will not understand something. Right. So they're the first line of defense on that. Mm-hmm. When it comes to a place like Marvel, that that includes characters that are owned by the organization uh, and you know an interconnected Marvel universe. They're also effectively the the guardians of those characters. Mm-hmm. You know, the the analogy that I use in my long rambling once a year to all the kids speech. <laughs> is that uh, the difference between the writer and the editor is that the writer's first loyalty and strongest loyalty is to the story, and the editor's first loyalty and strongest loyalty is to the book. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, writers uh, tend to write from some place of interest, some place of passion. They like what they're writing, and the characters and the story takes them. Uh, And sometimes that means that they're going to want to do things uh, with characters or with situations that maybe uh, render those characters, let us say, radioactive (laughs) or dead or in some ways changed in a way that is not advantageous. The classic quintessential example of this, and I've run across this time and again over the years, are are the guys that show up with this excellent, truly life-changing story in which Spider-Man is forced to kill somebody. Mm -hmm. He has to kill somebody to, you know, and it's it's you know they've got it and they they feel it. It's going to be so moving and it's yeah. such a powerful story and it's got to be this way. And that's because their first loyalty is to that story that they're telling. Right. The editor's first loyalty is to the book, which also means that I know that somebody is writing Spider Man today. Somebody else will write Spider Man one day. Somebody else wrote Spider Man before now, yeah. and somebody else will edit Spider Man one day. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you're just there to say no to everything, but it is. It does mean you're there to uh, uh, have a slightly different perspective mm-hmm. in knowing that when that guy is done, there still needs to be a Spider Man. Yes, <laughs> and they still need to be able to function as Spider Man does and does best. Um, so it is a certain amount. There is a certain amount of push and and pull in this. Um, you know, the the editor. I again another analogy I use with kids and in a lot of interviews over the years. You know, as people ask you, what does an editor do? I don't understand it. I don't get yeah. it. Uh, is that the editor is like 
uh, a combination of the coach and the manager of a ball club, right. which is to say the editor does not get on the field and play the game, mm-hmm. but they decide who does get on the field and play the game. They decide what positions they play. They can choose to swap a man out or put another man in, put a pinch hitter in, call the play. Right. This is what's going to happen. They decide what the team uniforms look like and the team colors. Uh, and they're responsible for getting the club to the stadium on time uh, and ready to play the game right. every time. And so that's kind of... Figuring out how to win the game, right? Figuring out how to yeah. win the game is also good. Yep, yep. Uh, and figuring out who can play and figuring out when it's time to send yeah. someone to the showers also. Yeah. <laughs> which, which is a, which is a big is... part of it. That, that uh, you know, that, that, that's, the, it, that's not fun for the person, but it's typically not fun for the editor either. So, right. uh, you know, being, being the adult, being the grown-up. Yeah. And the therapist sometimes. Oh, I would for say sh- that too. Oh, for, for sure, for sure. Uh, so much of being an editor is psychology. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's almost all psychological because you need to convince people that what you're saying is right. And quite often you convince them by by sort of making them think that the idea was their idea in the first place. Right, right. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I hope cre- our creators aren't listening to this. <laughs> they, they, all, they all know They'll this. Know. Our creators uh, are not stupid with yeah. a few rare exceptions. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who will remain Dan Slot? But, uh, you know. Uh, uh, Dan. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, you know, it, uh, it, it's de- there's definitely a, a lot of being able to sort of succinctly and directly make your point. Yeah. The other thing the editor is, again, in an organization like this, and again, even in a, in a, uh, a, a creator-owned sort of environment, although less there, you're also the, the artist's uh, advocate right. to the company. Mm-hmm. You know, you're there basically to protect them from interference with their work. You're there really first and foremost in a place like, Marvel or DC or a big organization like that to make sure they get paid. Right. Um, you know, if you do that, that's like 90% of your job. Mm-hmm. If you do that and nothing else, they will like you. If you do everything else but are spotty on that, they will not like you so much right. because it turns out our creators need money yes. to live. Yes. Uh, and they like it when we give it to them and they don't have to worry about it. They can right. worry instead about whatever Spider-Man is going to have to do to not kill that guy because you wouldn't let him kill that guy. Right. So let's talk about, like, when a pitch comes in, okay, when you get a pitch for the first time, whether it's from an ex- someone you're already working with or a new, a, a new character or an existing one, what is sort of the first thing that you're looking for um, from a writer? The first, like, if you don't get this, then you're not even bothering reading it. Well, I mean, every pitch is different. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, at the end, what I want is is you know something that that interests me, something that right. sparks, um, you know, and and you know, boiling that down more to its essence, I, I want to feel some sense of emotional truth in whatever this story is. Right. I want it to be a story about something. I don't necessarily know what the thing is or one thing, but I want it to be a story about something and something that matters. So something that somebody walking around out in the world. Uh, reading, uh, you know, the, the final product comic can relate to in some direct, you know, one-to-one human way. Right. I'm less concerned with 
with, you know, minutia. It's funny because this week in particular I've been getting a lot of, there have been a bunch of different people I've been talking to. and I've, I have literally like a stack of pitches has come in. Uh, and one of the commonalities I see uh, just, you know, not even having read any of them, but just looked and seen that here are these documents electronically on my desktop and rifled them for two seconds to go, okay, this is six pages long or whatever. Right. I see a lot of people who are pitching the same thing we published 10 years ago, but slightly different. Interesting. Whether it's an old idea, whether it's, you know, Alpha Flight. Here's my Alpha Flight pitch. Yeah. And it's just like the Alpha Flight that we did in 1980-whatever or 1990-whatever, right. except a little bit like this. Mm-hmm. Now it's got these two characters, or now the conflict is this. And, you know, it, it's this sort of, you know, it, it, and it's people who think that that's what we want. I think the reality of what we want is, and I'll use Alpha Flight as an example because I threw the name out, um, is is not to just go, well, we want 1985's Alpha Flight. Uh, we want something that that is true to whatever the, the essence or core of Alpha Flight is. Right. But that is relevant to somebody in the year soon, 2016. Sure. Um, and so, you know, what worked in the past, you know... Uh, doesn't necessarily work today, and nostalgia uh, is not enough to carry you through, particularly mm-hmm. if you're talking about nostalgia for something that ended. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a reason, whatever that reason was, that Alpha Flight came to an end in mm-hmm. the 90s, and it's been, you know, attempted as a property a bunch of times since then, and yeah. had a number of little short runs, but there's never quite caught fire over a, a longer period of time, mm-hmm. and that means that all the people involved, despite the best efforts of everybody there hasn't quite found the right zeitgeist sure. to make that thing work and make it relevant in the way that it had been. Yeah. Uh, and so just, just doing the same thing again is not necessarily going to get you mm-hmm. uh, uh, to a win. So I want something that, you know, an idea that, that, that strikes a spark with me, an yeah. idea that makes me go, oh, I, I, I see that, I get what that yeah. is, uh, I like it, I understand it, I haven't quite seen it that way before. Yeah. Um, and that's that's very abstract. You know, it's it's not like it's a formula where you, I tell everybody that and they can immediately go off and, and build those pitches. Well, but. that's also helpful for people who aren't necessarily like, you know, who or either, either reading comics or writing comics for a very, mm-hmm. very long time. Because I know when I work with new writers or new artists, they get very intimidated from the yes. get-go to say, oh, well, I don't have, really have the history with Marvel or have the history with comics. And just, you know, having them understand that you have to find a way to connect with the core of whatever, whether it's a new or old character, but particularly with our old or existing characters, finding a way to connect with the core and the essence of what, you know, they stand for is really the fundamental um, rule more than anything else. Yeah. And, and, you know, sort of in in addition to that, uh, every book and every project that we do uh, should have, needs to have, ideally has uh, a unique core concept, which is to say an underlying mm-hmm. premise that allows it to stand on some patch of ground right. that is different from everything else that we publish and ideally different from everything else that everybody else publishes, right. whether that's a point of view, whether that's... A, and and that's, that's a, di- a more difficult thing at a Marvel where we publish 70, 75 books a month than it might be at some other company. If you're at Valiant, sure. say, where they're publishing a dozen books a month, there's probably a lot more ground, mm-hmm. even if that ground is stuff that's similar to Marvel. You know, right. at, at a Marvel or at a DC, you don't really need 
the 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 team of A-list heavy hitters because we've got one already. That's the right. Avengers. And whatever you're doing is never going to be more that than the Avengers is. Right. And if you're at DC, it's the Justice League, and it's never going to be anything any any more that than the Justice League. Mm-hmm. Whereas maybe at a at a Valiant or maybe at a I don't know a Wildstorm or something, mm-hmm. you could build something like that. So even finding the thing that that's not here's what we've got, but here's what we don't have. Okay. Uh, here's how to approach things. You know that 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 sit in a place that that we don't. That nothing is quite touched yet. Yeah. So what about, so for people either who, you know, and this is actually even helpful for me, but for people who have, who want to be in editors or who are, you know, who are currently editors or whatever, you know, what, what are places that you would go to or that you would recommend to go for like story inspiration, right? Because sometimes you're, you're stuck, whether you're a writer or you're an editor or whatever, any type of storyteller that you are. Right. You need creative inspiration to be able to continue to, you know, tell stories or provide, um, you know, cr- cr- uh, constructive criticism. Um, so do you have recommendations or where do you usually go when you want to sort of reignite that part of your brain? Well, I, I've, I've never really needed to reignite it. So I don't, oh, he's I genius. Don't, I don't really know. <laughs> um, you know, I think to some degree it's just a steady diet of, of input, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, reading things and watching things and, right. and, and looking at things, you know, not just even, you know, certainly not just comics, but not even just fiction, but, yeah. but just stuff out in the world. Uh, you know, and and uh, you know, reading you know whatever, whatever the the various news or science yep. publications are, whatever uh, you know things are out in in new media or listening to podcasts like <laughs> this one if you have an hour or whatnot. like this one, yes, um, or you know anything that you know anything that's good, uh, you know, will give you new ideas about how stories can be told, what stories could be told, yeah. and defined. You know, different angles on the thing. Yeah. In the same sort of way that, you know, probably for six to nine months after that first season came out, every conversation we had up here was Game of Thrones. Right. Oh, it's like Game right. of Thrones. <laughs> this could be like the Marvel Game of Thrones. It could have some of that Game of Thrones. And every one of those conversations talked about something slightly different. I know. And took something slightly different, you know, to the point where Game of Thrones just became a buzzword. It was a buzzword but, for many conversations. But what that meant was at that moment, people yeah. were watching that show mm-hmm. and were getting something specific out of it and going, oh, there's something there that could be applied to... Right what we do um so that kind of inspiration comes from anywhere um you know i think for people who are starting out as as uh storytellers whether it's just in prose or whether it's in you know full-blown comics even if they're uh you know crude comics the fact that there's a whole internet there yeah uh means that feedback honest feedback and typically cruel feedback is not far from being had, mm-hmm. um, you know that that in my day there was nothing like that. If you wanted to do things, and I did, I published fanzines and and you know did strips and things, but with a much smaller circulation uh, of people looking at them and taking a much longer time. Mm-hmm. You know, theoretically, I could go back to my office now, draw up a quick four-panel comic, and have it on the internet in an hour. Right, it wouldn't look like much, but it would be there right and people could be commenting on that Responds, yeah pretty quickly and giving me feedback as to whether they liked it or didn't like it yeah you know, it's a fairly 
it's a fairly typical story now about the person who had the viral video or the viral, uh, you know, Tumblr post or image or mashup or whatnot right. that now has a book deal or a TV deal or sure. is writing a movie or is just that something about this thing that they've created has just exploded and people yeah. have embraced it and it's become a bigger thing. Yeah, that that's that's a that's a, a huge resource that everybody. Uh, who wants to do this has in common. Right. Um, the downside of that is there's no filter. There's no filter, yeah. Uh, it can be scary out there. Oh, it's very scary. Yeah. But that's good, too, because if you're going to do this to any degree, you need to have uh, relatively thick skin. Yes, absolutely. So input and feedback are two. I think that, I think input is a really, really great comment because yes. you're constantly doing output, whether you're a writer or storyteller or mm-hmm. editor or whatever. Um, you need you need to sort of recharge by sort of getting getting inspired from someplace, uh, and not being afraid of feedback is also extremely important right. because people are going to say some negative things, and you have to be able to have the thick skin to be able to um, handle it. Uh, but and also, cha- you know, actual ha- actually have people people ha- commenting on your work can only you know, especially if it's helpful, can only make your work better. Well, yeah, it's, it's certainly being able to tell the difference and to separate. The, yeah. the the useful and valuable feedback or comments yes. from stuff that's just nonsense. Right. You know, any anything that you do, my little four-page com, four-panel comic that I did a, five minutes ago, uh, as we talked about on this podcast, there are going to be people who love that. There are going to be people that hate that. There are going right. to be people that are indifferent to that. Uh, and none of those responses is wrong. That's just somebody took the 30 seconds uh, that it took to read that and had some response, and that's what it yeah. is. Uh, so none of that by itself necessarily should should be the be-all and end-all of, of what you're doing. Presumably, I did that four-panel comic to express something, mm-hmm. whether it was just I had a funny joke or what I thought was a funny joke and I wanted to get it across, yeah. or whether there was some idea I wanted to put out in the world or some view on something. Um, and, you know, the validity of that, is, you know, from a creative impulse is valid no matter what right. but in terms of how that's communicating with people how it how people are responding to it did it make the impression that i wanted it to make uh you know was i off the beam could i do it better how do i do it better how do i fine tune it how does the next one get better yeah that's all part of the process yeah. well tom this has been extremely extremely informative i think now maybe judy will be an editor now, maybe? What do you think? Uh, I'm I'm quite content producing the podcast. <laughs> I will let you guys deal with the creators <laughs> each week. Well, um, where can uh, listeners find you on Twitter? <laughs> Everyone knows, yeah. Yes. yeah. Well, I mean, where do we find you? Mean, you are always answering questions, so if people have questions, where can they find you? There, are, I do answer questions at the Tumblr, which is newbrevortformspring at tumblr.com. And it's Newbury Word Formspring because I used to have a Formspring and then form, a Formspring account and then Formspring had some problems and I switched over to Tumblr. <laughs> but I named it that so people would know where to find it and now it's just confusing. Okay. Um, we, will, we will link to it in the news story. Right. And Twitter is at Tom Brevoort? Yeah, at Tom, at Tom Brevoort. And all those right. questions get cross-posted. Perfect. And I also do an art blog and some other things and all that stuff gets cross-posted to Twitter as well, so... Well, thank you so much for your smarts. Maybe I'll become a better editor, but probably not. Well, we, we, can only, we can only hope. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Tom. Well, if you guys are listening, please rate and review. If you have any questions for us, please email them to us at womanof at marvel.com. We will see you guys later. This is Marvel, your universe.